Namaste and good evening to all of you. Sorry to be starting a bit experiencing some technical problems with the internet connections here. Tonight, I'm going to continue the discussion, commentaries on the words, actions, teachings of Jesus as outlined in the Gospel of Luke, close to this long circuit of the Gospel of Luke, in which so many amazing teachings, parables, parables have been given. I've been asked by some of the uh, students who are with me here in Kopangan to alternatively give some other subjects because this uh, series of the Gospel of Luke has been going on now for about three seasons and uh, we have accumulated some questions, some subjects which they want to know about. So it is possible, I do, I do not guarantee it will happen this way, but it is possible that next week, starting next week, I start doing it alternatively. One week the Gospel of Luke and one week some other subject which may be announced in advance or not, depending on how well organized we'll manage to be. So follow up, you will see the... Either we'll continue weekly for another 10-15 weeks with the Gospel of Luke, or we will move to the... We will do alternatively and we'll do the Gospel of Luke every second week. I have in the end of chapter 15, which is the famous parable of the prodigal son, of the lost son, where Jesus describes a very strange feature, a very strange... I would call it psychology, only of course at the level of the divine we are not talking about the normal psychology, in which he says if you had a sheep and you lost it and found it, then you put more energy in finding it and uh, you experience joy in bringing it back. If a woman had uh, ten coins and she lost one, she's more happy when she found that other nine which are sitting quietly in the box. And he compares it with the prodigal son, a man who is God had two sons, which are the souls in the manifestation. And one of these souls was quietly there with God all the time. And therefore there was no rush of emotions like, oh, I lost him, I got him back. While the other one became the prodigal son who went, got lost, and then came back. Uh, kind of psychology is incomprehensible and it can bring that people think, what kind of God is this? This uh, ridiculizes the idea of a divine consciousness, because how can the divine consciousness have so little objectivity? How can the divine consciousness act uh, in an apparently biased way? Why? What is this? You know, it's like it's not scientific, it's not fair in any way. And of course, we have to understand that Jesus, by giving these uh, relatively simple parables, he was giving parables for everyone to listen and to understand. Everybody who listens to the 90% of the people who listen to the parable of the prodigal son, they kind of understand it. But nobody is trying to really understand what's in the heart of God. Not the motivation of it. That's not the point of it. Speculating that God will get more uh, happy about this and that you can see. Because Jesus even points to the fact that here there is something incomprehensible 
in the end of this parable, okay, the prodigal son comes back and he says, forgive me, and of course the father is infinitely compassionate and forgives him and loves him and says on the contrary, put the best clothes, big sacrifice, the fattened calf, let's have a party, oh what a joy is that my son was lost and now he is found and all that. Sure, I mean in normal in a normal village culture of uh, Palestine, of Israel of those days, you would not relate to it. In, you wandered for thousands of lifetimes and then eventually you are uh, getting back and the Divine Consciousness is giving you a great hug. It is happy to see you back. But the story is a bit more complicated and that's why especially Jesus is introducing the second son which is like ground zero, which is the referential point. It says the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. And is getting uh, annoyed at the reaction of God, the father. And God is going out and saying, look, uh, you have to understand, like, how amazing. This, of course, this parable is made in such a way, so we understand that we don't understand. Because uh, the answer which is given is banal, and you would say, come on, I didn't expect God to be that way. The father went out and pleaded with him. Why does God need to plead with him? He can simply, if you don't like it, that's who I am. That's how the divine laws are. If you want to go get lost for a while and then you'll come back and will see as well, just go ahead. But that's a stupidity, you know, because your son was attracted into darkness pain, ignorance, and so on, so there's no need to, like, why would he go? And he pleads, and look what he says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Oh, that sounds like the religious person who is always within the norms and the parameters. And yet you never gave me even a young goat, so I'm with my friends. Is that true? Is there no celebration in the lives of the people that work for God, that do that? That's not really the actual truth. So the fact that Jesus turns it, he says, oh, but that's the way I want to tell this story. Say that this son was pissed off because of that. That does not respect the ontological truth, you know, that does the existential truth of what's happening. It's like you would say, there are some prophets, there are some saints, there are sattvas, there are some uh, inhabitants of uh, Shambhala, you know, and they have never gone wrong, like they have always been correctly since thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of years. And then when God is making a party lost sheep, they could get jealous. Of course... The great saints from Shambhala, knowing uh, this parable and understanding it at a much deeper level, of course they would never fall in this trap. But here, Jesus needed to have the old who is getting frustrated, jealous. In actual fact, the older son, if he would be staying with God and I laving for you and never disobeyed your orders and so on, he would be an enlightened being. And if he would be an enlightened being, then jealousy. He would not have frustration. 
the people from Shambhala would not say we have been enlightened for 15,000 years and now there comes this newcomer who is catching the last train and he just got enlightened in the 20th century or in the 21st century, you know, and now he thinks he can be colleague with us in Shambhala. Yes, he can be because he is Shiva, they are Shiva, everyone is Shiva. The quality of the cosmic consciousness is not different. The quality of the I am is not different. And the fact that one apparently got it 2,500 years ago like Buddha and one got it 20 years ago like I don't know whom, you know, like someone who got it in the year 2000, a millennial enlightened being, what difference does it make from the standpoint of the consciousness of Shiva? Since time is relative. Time is just part of the Maya. It's one of the Kanchukas. It's one of the armors of illusion. So why would it matter that somebody got enlightened then and now? Of course, in the narrative, when you tell the story, when you write the Bible, when you write Puranas, legends and myths about it, then it will matter. Wow, this was for a long time with God and this one came rather recently. But if they truly are with God, if they truly are Buddhas, if they truly are enlightened, then the quality of the consciousness of one is the same with the quality of consciousness of the other. You can still say, yeah, but the older one, he has had a lot of experience in the field as enlightened being. Yes. That experience in the field is something which differs in Prakriti. It can be possible that the one who has been enlightened for 15,000 years, now he's in a body which is old and frail, and he can hardly carry his chair from here to the next room. And the one who is enlightened right now is powerful, young and athletic, like Shankaracharya, Adi Shankaracharya, who got enlightened when he was 16 years old, and he has a tremendous physical energy, and he's very fit, and he can make karma yoga physically, like physical efforts and so on, tremendously much. This again, does a, it's a relative thing, it's an illusion thing, it's something which happens in Prakriti. It's part of the illusion. At the level of Purusha, these enlightened beings are equal. And the fact that one had more experience and the other one had less experience, or the fact that one is physically stronger and the other one is physically weaker, the fact that one could be a man and the other one could be a woman, the fact that other things, one can come from a very wealthy, like an imperial family, a royal family, and the other one come from the status of a beggar or of a very poor person or family or something. These things can make a difference only in the world of Walt Disney. In the world Disney's Badistanistic world, it makes a difference. And you say, eh, Ramakrishna was not like Milarepa and Rumi was not like, you know, but they were. They were and they were not. From the standpoint of their Prakriti, one was tall and one was short, one was strong and one was weak, one was younger, one was older, and one was the prodigal son and one was the one who stayed with God. That's why from the standpoint of illusion, there is a difference. Uh, the older son, if he would not be subjected to illusion, he would rejoice like his father. But here Jesus wants to give the example of an older son who is enlightened, but not quite, not so enlightened. No? And then he reacts with jealousy, with frustration, 
with a measure of things which is not actually the best thing. So he just reproaches. He says, why there is so much party for this guy because he was a pig and he abused and whatever and now he came back. And for me, who I was working with, maybe I should also go away. And you know, it's like it gives you the funny ideas. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Like he, he sounds very much like he's jealous. But if the older son would be a Buddha, would he be jealous? Most 99.99% no. It's not because I not feel jealousy. Because they are still human beings in a human body when they are around here. But they have a level of wisdom which is allowing to themselves, is allowing to them to deal with these uh, negative thoughts which may emerge for a second and then they can be tempered down and as being unworthy and being not representing the divine reality. My son, the God is trying to explain and Jesus is trying to explain because he is trying to say, listen, all of you are like the older son. All of you are just grumpy, frustrated, envious, jealous human beings. And when you would see somebody praised, then you would become annoyed. No, like out of all the apostles, no, Peter betrayed Jesus in the meaning that he said, no, I don't know this man and so on. And then Jesus apparently made him chief among his apostles. Of, that, that's very arguable if there was chief, but very often Peter is presented as being the one who has, a, a, who is a natural born leader, the one who is, you know, older and more fiery than the others and who has this Manipura leadership in this circle of the apostles, looking up to him, you know, and the same thing could be said, why is Peter better than us? Some of the people like Matthew and others, who was a tax collector, they could read, write, compute, do mathematics. Peter apparently was completely illiterate to start with because he was a fisherman. No? Matthew could have said, well, we've been all of us three years with Jesus. And then suddenly Peter gets bumped up like he is the boss or he is the numero uno. Or some, why should he be? Why shouldn't I be? Why shouldn't John be? Why shouldn't Thomas be? Why shouldn't somebody else be? Why should Peter be? No? Again, at that point, Matthew, he demonstrates lack of enlightenment, lack of Buddhahood, lack of wisdom. He is just prey to impurities of the mind and impurities of the astral body because he is just drowning into unworthy negative emotions which don't belong there. Now remember the apostles were asking Jesus who is going to be the first of us? And Jesus says how stupid can you be that you came to God, you come to Shambhala, you are my apostles, are going to make history on this planet and you still wonder who is being going to be number one and number two? Is that the nature of your existence in God? Who is number one and who is number two? That not that completely ridiculous and useless? And then he's giving them that parable who says the first and the last will be the first. You know, like, rather try to be the most humble. Rather try to be the one who serves everybody. And then 
your wisdom and your Buddhahood is superior, then you are superior exactly through your spiritual attitude, not compete on things. The divine nature is not a nature of competitiveness. So I'm saying all this because God is arguing, but basically the arguing is like he repeats the same thing. He said, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Yes, and now that the second son has returned, also everything he has is belonging to the second as well. So suddenly everything went into half. No, not to mention that the story goes that uh, this guy had taken half of the property of his father and he had squandered it with prostitutes and riotous living and all that. And now he's coming back and if God is dressing him up and, you know, God is not going to say, well, I made a party for you, but remember that you gave your uh, wealth before. The wealth of God is infinite. God has not lost anything. So that's why this parable is very imperfect in many ways because God, Jesus does not have a better way of explaining. So he pretends that this guy is jealous and frustrated and the other guy was like this. But he's trying to show something else. He's pointing at something. So God insists by saying, My son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. Like the son says, Father, you don't listen what I have asked. Yes, I know that I, everything is mine. And that I've been with you always. But why this bastard now so much glory? You know, when he actually should be punished. He should be taught a lesson. The whole world should be taught a lesson by teaching. No, it's not like that. For the divine consciousness, the divine consciousness is divine consciousness. There is no difference. And that's why Jesus cannot explain this. Because he is not a Pinavagupta and he does not resort to metaphysics of a monistic type. Like in Kashmiri something. So he simply says... But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. That's the mantra. He repeats obsessively this. He was lost and now he is found. He was dead and now he is like father. Great. I'm glad that he is lost and found and he was dead and alive. I say that it's very unfair that I've been here and you didn't give me a goat to make a party, which again is not true because the people who are enlightened, they are happy. They receive a lot of happiness and celebration from God. So it's not like this. Like, why was the usefulness of this son slave serving his father and meanwhile actually demonstrating in his heart that he was unhappy? I've slaved for you here, but I have to tell you. Now that my father is coming back, it's like break point, you know, and I'm going to splash it right in your face. All these uh, 20,000 years I've been, I've been unhappy and frustrated. And now when you celebrate for this idiot, you know, I'm now it's, you know, I'm exploding. It's going through the roof. I can't have it and so on. It's never going to happen like this. The parable is not accurate mathematically. I told you about other parables which were not automatically and they were not valid. I debunked them. I kind of took the nuts and bolts out of them and showed you that the parable in itself is not accurate. But the purpose of Jesus is to say something. No? How, how does it come? What's the fairness? 
there are gazillions of, and here we have just two of them, but as above, so below. If it's valid for two, then it's valid for all of them in one way or another. And one soul lead with God all the time, like, did he have no trials? Did he have no spiritual tests? Did he never do some mistake? But wait a second, the Tibetan yogis, they tell us that there are six lokas, out of which one of them is the health, and plus a lot of other unhappy worlds, the world of animals, the world of the hungry ghosts and others, which are with a lot of pain, and that everybody goes through all the six lokas in millions of years, there will not be one soul who has, in the end, has not been in hell. Like even Buddha, after, after 10,000 lifetimes, or how many lifetimes he had, you can bet that Buddha himself must have had at least 20 lives or 200 lives in which he was evil, dark, went to hell, got very negative karma, terrible, dark and ugly things, paid for the karma, suffered for thousands or tens of thousands of years, and then eventually when his subconscious mind learned the lessons and so on, then he burned all the things of the past, and slowly, slowly, in the last 100 before becoming a Buddha, there maybe things were just going up because he was like a runner who when he runs on a stadium, he goes on a straight line. He makes the last loop and then there is 100 meters left to the finish line. And that last 100 meters is a straight, you know. And maybe Buddha in the last 10 lives or the last 100 lives of his personal history, he was on that straight line. But where was he 500 lifetimes before? 2,500 lifetimes before. He may have been in hell or in the universe of the pretas, of the hungry ghosts and unhappy spirits, or in the animal world, or in the world of the titans, in the world of the asuras, and so on. Everybody has been there. Your evolution would not be complete. We said that a complete human being it's like a diamond that is polished to perfection. One has to confront the evil. One has to learn the lesson of evil and darkness. And that everybody has been there. That's why what Jesus says, it's a Walt Disney thing. It's a fairy tale. Because in metaphysical terms, what does it tell us about the older son? The older son had been prodigal also. 20,000 lifetimes ago, you know, 200 lifetimes ago or something. And now he is on the last line. He is enlightened or enlightened. He's a bodhisattva or a Buddha. And then he says, well, as far as I can remember, I've been with you. But that's not true because if you go back in time for long enough, this older son, he also had been a prodigal son. Everybody had been a prodigal. And the sad truth is that if you have not been a prodigal son yet, that means if your soul is very young in samsara, unfortunately we will have to lose you for a while and you will have to go into the pig trough exactly like this guy, like the prodigal son, simply because for your diamond to be polished, you need to go through that darkness, you need to go through that pain, you don't want to learn banging your head against the wall. You don't believe that there is a wall unless when you bang your head on it and bleed and then you say after all they were right. 
we tell to everybody there is there are hells there is negative karma there is this and that and then people say we don't think it's just a fairy they control us or do this or do that and then they go and bang their head really hard and then they will suffer and they don't as i want or it's the law of evolution now in the recent cries of agama have there been some people who created a very ugly neck for themselves yes i personally have tried to forgive everybody to forgive all the circumstances i understand that souls being subjected to terrible spiritual tests sometimes they do the wrong thing so i have for inspiration from jesus to give me this wisdom this compassion to forgive everything and everybody but it is very possible that those prodigal sons and daughters they will not forgive themselves i can for any punishment but they are not with me they are living their own lives and then if they consider themselves guilty as they die they will just ask their own subconscious mind their own soul will ask to go to hell as a punish or what they think that they have done and that is simply because they have never been there and that part of their evolution is necessary exactly like in the old days men had to do the compulsory military service and it was said if you haven't done your military service you shouldn't be eligible to get married because you are not a real man only men who have fulfilled their military stage will know how to take care of a woman and have a certain of course that's bullshit it's not necessarily true but there was this thing that you have to go through all the stages of life you have to go through everything to do it it's like in thailand where every man has to go for 3 months in a monastery and live like a monk so that they understand and see what it is to follow the path of buddha and what it is to go to the full extent on that no and that's why here jesus does not make metaphysics he just gives a parable and the parable is very simplified for countryside people to understand about sacrificing a calf and a goat and you know like really ridiculous stuff but the metaphor is deeper the metaphor is that the prodigal son is back and god happy because there is valley and hill valley and hill in and yang in the prakriti they are there joy and sorrow and after the sorrow now comes the joy now comes the reunion now comes the prodigal son coming back home and that this remember that the older son who here plays this silly game that oh he's frustrated and jealous that's just for for you to understand that the mind of god is not the mind of people that god doesn't think the way people think that if you measure god by your standards you are going to fail miserably and you might get angry at your own divinity at your own spirit because you don't understand remember the older son was there steady because he already had passed his tests so it is 100% that the older son had been prodigal at some point if he had not been prodigal in the past he would not know what it is to be prodigal but if he had been prodigal 
ask this stupid question and play this stupid jealousy to his father. But Jesus cannot show that the parable cannot go into such detail. It has to be at the level of Walt Disney because it's for everybody. And thus, in this way, it's like Jesus is enacting a sort of a theatrical play. But this theatrical play is hiding a lot of things. Please remember the older son, he must have been, that's why he says it's older. It's like an old soul. He has been through hell. He has been through betrayal. He has been through demon, demonic things. He has been through a lot of places. And now he's the older son. And when he sees his younger brother going to hell and wasting the treasure of his father, he knows. He's been there and done that. He knows what the whole story is about. Because the only other alternative is that actually the older son is not so old. And now it is his time to be tested. And he will get very pissed off because he will not understand God. Because God keeps insisting, listen, it is, uh, we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother was lost and alive. We fuck him. I wish he was never coming back. You know, like if I'm jealous, I can easily become irrational and say, come on, man, what are you saying there? You know, so somebody can abuse you endlessly like this. And then when they will come down your knees and piss in your pants with joy and say, oh, how glad I am you came back. <laughs> You know, then I will go away and when I will come back, please sacrifice a, a calf for me. Either the old brother is not that old and then this is a terrible test for him because he thinks that God is unfair and all that. Or the parable does not speak about it and the old brother is just enacting a stupid character. He is just asking the stupid questions exactly as Shakti is asking questions from Shiva in the, in the Tantric texts, although she already knows the answer because she's at the level of the enlightened consciousness. But she asks so that Shiva answers and that so we human beings can hear, can overhear the answers and learn yoga, tantra and spiritual uh, knowledge. So here, the older son is playing dumb and is playing frustrated and jealous because if he is indeed the older son, he knows the tragedy, the drama of the human soul. And this tragedy and drama of the human soul, he has just seen it with his brother. And then he would not be jealous, you know, he would not. He would say, I have been the same, only it happened long, long, long time ago. And now everybody who knows me says, oh, you've been so steady and, uh, you know, and you slaved and you never asked for anything. Yeah, because, you know, long time ago, I have been going through the Valley of Tears as well. So this is the truth. That's why Jesus, through this parable, is trying to point out you don't know the whole truth. My parable itself cannot show you the whole truth. And like the older son... Uh, if that were true, which is not, but if it were true, like the older son, human beings can act out of ignorance. Uh, why does God do that? You know what? It's none of your business to judge God or to evaluate God. That's why one has to be humble and to surrender in front of the divine will. You don't know what spiritual tests God has in stock. 
for some of your colleagues, brothers, sisters, friends. You don't know what the Dharma of everyone is. You don't know what those people, other people in the same spiritual school or in the same group with you, you don't know what they have done or not have done in their previous lives. And you don't have the supreme clairvoyance to have the Ajna Chakra crystal ball to see everything and explain everything. If you would have that, you would already be at the level of deities. You would be a deity. You would be at the level of God because only at the level of God there appears omniscience. And you are not omniscient. You don't know those things. And that's why Jesus is presenting this example of the prodigal son, of the lost son, showing that human cannot completely judge the Dharma, the Karma, the circumstances and the divine relationship of some souls. Sometimes even gurus who were reaching a state of enlightenment, they could not see everything instantaneously. When Milarepa came to Guru Marpa and told him that he had killed more than 35 people with black magic, even Marpa needed a time to think. Even Marpa, he just told him, go and dig ditches and build this. He tortured him, he really treated him like a mason, like a manual worker, like a menial worker, you know, simply because it was not quite clear man was coming back to light, how this lost son was going to come back to light. This was a highly unusual case. Most gurus, they get cases which are within certain limits, but some cases are over the top, like Milarepa, you know, it's, we don't often get to have a disciple who has been a black magician and killed tens of people effectively, you know, like an, eff an efficient black magician, a man with a horrendous ego, with a lot of darkness accumulated into him. Now, eventually, Guru Marpa identified the path for Milarepa. But he had to let him, Milarepa stole some mantras, pretended to initiations, did this, did that. He acted according to his crazy darkness, you know, even with his guru, you know, he was not completely exemplary and elegant and so on. Until from this ping pong, you know, his path became obvious. And the papa was super tough. He, was, he lived alone for 30 years doing, eating pretty much nothing and doing some of the most terrible spiritual practice that is recorded in Tibetan history. So, please remember that the parable of the prodigal son of the lost son is much, and it looks because, you know, it tells us that now we see that this one was good all the time and this one was bad and then he became good and then there was a mission in Shambhala for him. And you say, is that fair? Don't worry. God is fair, the enlightened Buddha is fair, the enlightenment, the, the consciousness of Shiva is fair, you don't have to worry about that. That's not your problem. If you are the fairness of God, it means you are ripe to become demonic yourself and to start going to hell. And I wish you are not that much of a young soul. The young souls, sooner or later, they will have to go do their military service 
or go to a monarchy month by the analogy which I gave here with the Thai culture, which means all the young souls are actually perhaps going to commit some grievous mistakes and those mistakes are going to cost them very dearly and then after 35,000 years or God knows how long they will be back with their tail between their legs humbled and with big scars with big scars you know, like they have been through the wars of samsara and there they have learned some very tough lessons that's the actual thing hidden in the parable of the prodigal son but uh, this kind of meta being taught openly here so god simply says take it like this in i am experiencing a yin and a yang a valley and a hill this soul was lost and he was in his valley of tears now the valley of tears is finished he came back to his senses he he came back to me and he said please forgive me you know I will be with you, I will serve you like the most unworthy servant. God demonstrates that the pain made him understand. It is very unfortunate that human beings have to lay. This yin and yang of life is unfortunately seen so often in this manifestation that people very often learn by botching some situations miserably and paying for them, paying through them and then coming back. And he goes into the next parable, which is all these parables are about this, right? Losing a sheep and finding it back, losing coin, being glad to find the lost coin. The prodigal son, which is the acme, which is the top of it and now there is the parable which in this edition of the Bible which I'm using in this translation is called the parable of the shrewd manager and let's see what it says it's a bit long Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possession his God again always and the manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Who is the manager? We, human being. We are trustees of God. We are sent down here with a certain trust, with a certain capital. And that capital has been entrusted to us. It's very important to realize this. What we have is a gift. You can say, but isn't it my karma? Isn't all the karma in this universe also belonging to God? Isn't every, every quantum of energy belonging to God and actually being the body of God, being part of Prakriti or Shakti, the manifested part of God? So, of course, whenever you are here, but, but people are arrogant, they refuse to see it like this, but the humble, I have been sent in the world with a trust, in my trust, in my care, from God, and I have with this, from this. So, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Accused. Doesn't say he was wasting. He was accused. 
this is uh, very metaphorical now because it's exactly like the last judgment why does it have to be a judgment day for francis of assisi isn't francis of assisi a great saint of god who has proven himself to love god and surrender to god uh, there will still be a final judgment so that anybody cannot say uh, there is a special favor for francis no both you francis go to the judgment day which means francis was accused because at the judgment means somebody says isn't it possible francis that you actually fornicated and francis will say in front of god i say no francis isn't it possible that with all these gifts that you got from god you actually were a proud arrogant asshole and you are you are very happy that you are special and different from other people and francis says may my guardian angel or all the angels and archangels be my witnesses as about that because as far as i am aware i have tried to be humble and to surrender and if i was wrong and i became proud and arrogant then of course i am doomed i have done something very wrong but i can't jump that because always i would say no 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 i have not been proud and arrogant i can say according to my best perception in my humble opinion i have not but you know let the angel let the masters of the karma let the past present and future pass their opinion pass a judgment on that as as things can be seen choose no so that's why the manager was accused because he was like under a judgment everybody comes to a judgment even when they are innocent remember the judgment is exactly like we have a a test you are doing 3 month of yoga and you have a sash exam not because anybody is doubting that uh, maybe you don't deserve all that yoga and you have been shirking and cheating and no it's a judgment which was meant that by by having it you yourself tell to yourself i have passed this i am worthy i belong to this level we have authenticated it it has been no it's like a spiritual given by your own school by your own teacher so god the rich man called the manager him what is this that i hear about you give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer like like you are not alive you cannot live anymore now we have to decide where you go after your death you know like if you want to take it in the perspective of the art of dying you know there is an art of dying uh, kind of unexpectedly exceptionally placed next week so don't forget to tell your friends and those who missed it there is the excellent exceptional opportunity to catch an art of dying now next week in uh, from a distance in uh, online so he says give an account of your management it's like when you see your life when you die you see your life that's like you give an account of your life god doesn't say you are busy you are guilty but he says there has the question has the matter the question the issue has been raised and therefore let's see it's white or it's black what is it yeah 
Remember, exams are necessary. It's what God does. We can only imitate in a very imperfect way. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job, not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I will do. So when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Told in each one of his master's debtors, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Church told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Like he said, I'll give you a discount, right? It's the day of forgiveness. Yeah, you can get away with 400 right now. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. He starts giving discounts in the last minute. The master commended the dishonest man. The master commended, he praised the dishonest because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Interesting kind of judgment. Again, who is God? How does God think like this? He says, if you, a person of the light, you would have acted like this and like that, you know, and you would have been really clumsy. You would have said, you, pay your debt. But this guy said, you know, from 600 make it four so that you will be happy and at least some of the debt will be paid so he said people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind a teacher that is a yoga teacher that is vadistanistic can deal with vadistanistic students much easier because they speak the same language they are somewhere there a yoga teacher who is very much in ajna he comes and his students are Zvadistanistic and they don't understand him. They detest too much. He's too exacting. He is too grumpy. He is too demanding. He is very difficult to please. He is this, he is that. No, the difference is noticed here. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. So when it is, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Like give, help, be compassionate, make charity. This is like an act of charity which he is doing because nothing belongs to him really. It all belongs to God. But nevertheless, he makes discounts from it. Somebody is owing you like this guy, wheat. The wheat belongs to you only in an egoistic way. Uh, materialistic society you say this wheat is mine but actually it belongs to God it belongs to mother nature it can be today yours and tomorrow not you have nothing and you have everything whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much as above so below so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, trust you with true riches. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, 
who will give you property of your no servant can serve two masters either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve both god and money this is a very harsh judgment we'll have to dwell on this a little bit more and probably next time i will interrupt in the middle of this parable somewhere because it's very big no it goes in two levels it says on one hand there are the ways of doing things of god and god is asking from the what have you done and all that but then god commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly on other hand you gave from the divine abundance no like you are more intelligent than other people which you have received from god and you give some of this capital of intelligence to enlighten other people like buddha apparently was highly educated and highly intelligent and look how clear he made the buddhist system with the four noble truths fold paths to be followed this and that you know like you can't beat the clarity of the buddha his kind of ajna and organizational the, the organized way in which he did the things no it's like buddha he gave light to the whole world from his own light he made people see some things which they could not see and therefore uh, jesus says god commands that when you can integrate into the manifestation with destroying anything without making radical compromises but he says also that if you are to be commended you are to be commended and that this manager demonstrated that he was handling things well but if not hey even if you are doing bad things with little stuff then who will dare to trust you the big if the manager of a small company botches it constantly who will make him a manager in a huge company there there is a point to see so he eventually concludes this famous conclusion that no servant can serve two masters jesus is definitely not teaching from a tantric point of view in two matters the matters of sex and the matters of money which both of them had their uh challenges in the jew jesus prefers to go on the path of the essenes of the essenians which means like to be a radical puritanist jesus very often walks a certain path of perfectionism in some way he tells to people be per- your father in heaven is any modern psychologist will tell you but perfection does not exist perfectionism is like a mental disease that's why most modern psychologists they don't believe in jesus and they don't become enlightened because they are toning it down all the time by saying eh but after all we are human and but jesus is asking you to go beyond human to at least try and here in this situation we would say well swami shivananda 
build an ashram and he handled money and so he did not get corrupt by money and so on. Or even Padre Pio, he was given the inspiration to build a hospital for poor people's hospital and he was given a lot of donations and it costed a lot of money. And actually, at some point, he was accused of embezzling. The manager of his company was embezzling money and all that stuff. And at the same time, till the end of his life, nobody ever demonstrated, on the contrary, that Padre Pio had been corrupt in any way whatsoever. On the contrary, as I say, people claimed that he had been of an incredible purity when it came to money and things like that those. And that's why here Jesus is doing both things. On one hand, it's good to have an interface with uh, humanity because people like somebody who speaks their language. On the other hand, if you cannot be trusted with small things, God can test you in some small things and then the big things will not be given to you. Like Shambhala will say, we cannot give this man the responsibility for this or for that. We cannot entrust him with this historical mission or that, because this person still has a lot to prove. This person has still a lot to purify. You know, I gave sometimes the example of the fact how the Tibetans were uh, contemplating to cooperate like of Adolf Hitler and the other guys. And eventually, they failed miserably, not because Adolf Hitler became a monocentric person who killed his own teachers and did a lot of, and then eventually he went into this rampant actions, out of which many of them didn't make sense. Even from a military standpoint, they were not making sense. So I'm telling you all these because uh, here, Jesus separates money from God. In a tantric view, God is part of God. It's a shakti. It's a form of energy, like the sexual energy, like others, you know, and it's part of the divine. And therefore, if there is money, God made the money in a way. You know, it would, they wouldn't have been possible in a universe where the idea of money wouldn't have been already. So, of course, the money, wealth, uh, Possessions and so on, they are embedded in the nature of the reality as it is, no? And then why did God create that thing if they were so bad after all, no? So in a tantric, monistic understanding, they are not bad. There's nothing wrong with it. But here, Jesus, this is like a separation path, like the path of good versus evil, and there, sex, lust, desire, and, in this case, money, as being direct enemies to be confronted. And that is the nature of most of the spiritual practices in this world. The monistic, shaivistic disciplines, they are an exception one of the very few exceptions, and they are exceptions which require exceptional training in yoga, exceptional people to practice these things. They are perhaps not for everybody. Even here in Agama, we share them very liberally with a lot of people, 
and in the end, we demos we discovered that they had not properly understood, and actually it was not healthy for their soul. We know people who this way they have taken many wrong decisions, which if they would have been thinking in the way of Jesus, they wouldn't have been those decisions. And the parable ends, the story of this particular particular event ends because it says the Pharisees, he was striking at the Pharisees because they were a rich sect in Judaism, a sect in which there were a lot of rich people, that's why they were called Pharisee. To be a Pharisee means to wear a mask, and to pretend you are pious and actually to be very, to have a very corrupt image. Like today, many of the Christian church authorities, they live in luxury. And the question is, are they as modest as a poor monastery far, far away? Or meanwhile, they became attached to their properties and ease and facilities and luxury. And then they had become Pharisees. The Neo-Phariseeism is this. So the Pharisees who loved, and that was according to Jesus the problem, heard all this and they were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of man, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is both in God's sight. I'll get back to this next week or in two weeks. If next week I, I, interf, I, I put another subject, I uh, intersperse this uh, with another subject of satsang because here it's a very harsh judgment and you can see again that Jesus is talking from the standpoint of Kali Yuga. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Not men like Ramakrishna. Ramakrishna could not touch physical money because he was feeling a burning sensation. Not men like Francis of Assisi. Not men like Milarepa. What is highly valued among men, those men are the pygmies of Kali Yuga. So the pygmies of Kali Yuga they have created a world and a society in which the things which are highly valued, he doesn't say it's not valued in God's sight. He uses a very harsh word. He says it is detestable in God's sight. Imagine that a small child, uneducated, makes a cake or some molding object, some toy, out of caca, out of shit. And then he comes to his father or mother and presents him, presents it and says, look, I've done something wonderful. And they are like, oh man, it stinks so bad, I want to vomit, you know? Like, it's not that it's not acceptable. It is stable. Many people will go to God and will say, God, I have done that. The angel asks him, what have you done in your life? Yeah, you know, I have been a great leader. I have, you know, and then suddenly the angel turns green in his face and starts going like, can you interrupt your story a little bit because, you know, and then the man is petrified. This is how many petrified people have gone to hell. 
there are many people who until they die they believe they are okay and then they discover that what is highly valued among men it's caca in the view of God imagine the surprise imagine the surprise because man says I thought that if I was a you know, I don't know a manager into a banking institution uh, no and then somebody tells him that's the most devilish thing happening on this planet so welcome to hell you know because what you have been what you think you've been good at you've been good at something which is one of the pillars of hell so if you are good at hellish things that's not a merit on the contrary that be a fault a major fault that's why human beings have to evaluate very carefully what they are good at and what they are doing with their lives because especially in Kali Yuga the Dharma is gone to a horrible extent and people live without Dharma and they think that what they say yeah but I've done this yeah but I've done that what have you done with your life well, yes I've done that and so on no? then when they get face to face with their angel I might make a satsang about angels angelic hierarchies because a workshop is coming up and people want to know a little bit more about this when they come in front of their angels or in front of the God consciousness suddenly they realize that 9% of the things of which they were so proud they were actually all of them wrong not only not worth it they were actually plainly wrong and then the question is I have been very good at things which were not good at all then uh, it's like what have I done with my life this is how hell comes it's easy to find hell in Kali Yuga Kali Yuga itself is a bit of hell the planet in which we live look at this nonsense with this virus and what people are doing to people and to themselves and so on aren't we living in hell isn't this a world of imbeciles of self-punishing imbeciles of paranoid imbeciles of imbeciles who punish each other of drunken animals animals that are drunk with booze and are behaving chaotically like drunken monkeys or drunken elephants or whatever you know it's like there are video clips with what animals do when they get drunk with alcohol that's what I'm referring to you know it's like aren't are we living in a world which is paradise like and then people are threatening that in the next 10 years and 20 years and 30 years it's going to become even more dark and bitter and uh, you know, Big Brother is going to control everything and you won't even have the freedom to go fart freely in a corner, you know, just because, you know, like, Kali Yuga is a hell. The life in Kali Yuga is a hell. In Satya Yuga, it may have been a place where you could enjoy the paradise of God, nature as the smiling face of Shakti, the consort of Shiva. Not in Kali Yuga. In Kali Yuga, 
because people are so low in resonance, so demonic, so selfish, so materialistic, so impure, the whole nature is becoming impure. If we are killing billions and billions of chickens, cows, pigs and other creatures every year just for our big bellies to feed them when it's not necessary and it's not even ecological, it's not even friendly to Mother Nature, you know, then what kind of world do you expect we are living in? What kind of world, what kind of resonance is in this world? Then we are wondering why there are tsunamis and epidemics and earthquakes and social and domestic violence and, you know, we live in hell, that's why. This world in which we live is a manifestation of hell. And in this world, that's why I say, what is highly valued? No, it's like you live in a post-apocalyptical world. You know, you live in a, one of those science fiction movies which happen after a nuclear war, a Mad Max type of, you know. What's the virtue in the post-apocalyptic Mad Max type of world? Guns, power, rape, violence, you know. It's all the world of slaves and killing and so on, you know. If you live in such a world which is a hell in itself, then of course you say what is highly valued among men, you know, what was highly valued people in Mad Max. I just give an example because there was, a, but there were so many other uh, post-apocalyptic movies. And, you know, what was highly valued in all those societies? What was highly valued there is detestable in God. It's detestable in God's sight. We could go so much further. Maybe next time we warm up a little bit with this. But this is the consequence of this strange parable of the shrewd manager. You know, because we live in a such a skewed world that on one hand Jesus himself has to navigate through this world but as you saw as soon as he stood up clearly he survived for three years and then they crucified him there's no way you know to make friends with some Jesus was telling them all what you guys do is detestable in the eyes of God all the 99% of the things that you are so happy about and so proud about is dirt in the eyes of God. And, you know, if you die in that condition, great is your surprise when you find yourself in front of your guardian angel in your own mini judgment day and then you discover that you botched it from one end to the other. And then you understand why Buddha said the road to hell, the cause of suffering, is ignorance. Because then you say, oh, I thought it was good to have many children, you know. I made four children, you know. And now I discover that maybe I shouldn't have had children and I should have consecrated my life to God like Ramakrishna, you know. God is asking me, what have you done with your... I have raised four healthy children. And then you see the angel going, you know, and then you say, what? 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 Uh, it's sacred to raise uh, good children. The, the angel says, 
Maybe not. Maybe that's what you think. Maybe what 99% of the people who lived in the same society with you, that's what they told you because they wanted to believe in the same shit as you. And when you die, no? And what was the cause? The cause was ignorance. Buddha was right. It's ignorance because you keep on living with an ignorance in which you lie to yourself and you say, after all, my lifestyle is probably good. What? I'm not killing anybody. People live in this Walt Disney imbecility that if you don't kill anybody and if you don't steal money, you are supposedly being a nice person. What a surprise awaits such people. That's why the Christian mystics have said you have to be humble. Nobody is holy in the eyes of God. People who think they had a good life, they get in front of the angel and they see the angel throwing up in disgust, you know. And then the big surprise is coming. My life, which I thought was a peach, it's a toilet bowl, you know. It's a shithole. And I was happy that I was having a good life, you know. But actually, when you take the yama and niyama, the morals and ethics, you see that, you know, let's remember, we said that people who claim and think honestly that they never lie, they still lie approximately 10 to 12 times per day, every day. That's a university research in England. But people who know that they lie, they probably lie a hundred times per day. But the people who are very prim and they say, no, I never lie. No. University research has caught them lying 10 to 12 times still every day. You would say, but maybe there are minor lies of which they are not really conscious. When you will face your guardian, then you will be conscious and you will see that God and the angels and the masters from Shambhala, they were conscious of every of it. Only you pampered yourself in saying, come on, it can't matter that much. It does, unfortunately. The mind of God is very different from the minds of people. And ignorance and egoism must defend our own shit and defend our own little selfish, miserable universe we die and we have our own personal apocalypse, when the knowledge dawns upon us, it's too late. Then we have to take the karma and all the dharma, karma consequences which come from that. And then we are not happy. Remember that in Kali Yuga, it's very seldom pure. It's very seldom inspired. It's very seldom divine because the law of the world is a dharma, is non-dharma. It's and then we tend to be like the world and then we don't serve God. It's like he said here, you cannot serve two masters. That's why sometimes spiritual people they stand against the world, especially in Kali Yuga. And is a marvelous example. Standing against the world and saying most of what you think is true, it's not. 
you've been lied to. You are ignorant. You are just pampering yourself that you are doing fine, but you are not. Meditate. Ask for divine inspiration. This is where we stop tonight on this note of asking for this divine inspiration. Thank you all for joining tonight. Follow our calendar. Next week I continue with Luke's Gospel or if next week I insert maybe a satsang about angelic forms of existence because again a workshop on this theme is prepared to come. And it would probably fit very well as well in the middle of the 